So there on the screen, you will see where we're headed. Uh, Last week, as we wrapped up our series in the Beatitudes, we actually began a new series uh, simultaneously. We're calling this Poured Out, Giving Ourselves to Christ's Kingdom. And we saw last week that we can give ourselves to Christ's kingdom as a, as a persecuted church, as a persecuted minority, and as the gospel goes forward in the nations. And this week, uh, we're going to be taking the next couple weeks leading up to our Missions Focus Weekend, uh, exploring how we can give ourselves to God's kingdom. This week, we're going to be seeing that we can give ourselves to Christ's kingdom in generosity. How to be generous is the title of today's sermon and we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. You'll see it in your worship guide, or it will be on the screen as well. And just a bit of context so that uh, you know what we're getting into here. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth uh, for a number of reasons. To encourage them to defend his ministry, to defend the gospel against skeptics. And he takes two chapters, chapters 8 through 9, to actually pivot a little bit and talk about the role of generosity. He talks about the importance of alleviating the burden of fellow Christians in Jerusalem by means of a collection. Two chapters devoted to this, and our passage is at the end of that. So let's read now 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is God's word. As we come to this text this morning, uh, there is a a Latin phrase or rule that goes like this, abusus non tolit usum. This Latin phrase literally means abuse doesn't take away use. This has been a useful phrase in my life and ministry. Uh, it, was, it was first presented to me by one of my professors, but this phrase could be translated uh, another way, that the abuse of something doesn't negate its proper use. You think, for instance, of the role of fire. Fire can destroy and ravage, but it can also cook a nutritious meal to provide life. There's an abuse 
and there's a proper and good use. So I say all that to come to this text this morning because there's a deep skepticism whenever pastors or churches talk about money. Whenever churches talk about stewardship or giving or offerings or collects as Paul is talking about. And rightly so, there is a deep skepticism. If you look through the history of the church, and even as we saw uh, these vestiges of the Roman Catholic uh, Empire, you think of indulgences and, and the corruption, manipulating people to give money through indulgences and, and all of those various things. And then our day and age, the manipulation of the church's mission for extortion, for financial gain, for whatever it might be. There's a deep skepticism whenever we get up to talk about money. And you see in our day and age two, um, two extremes with how churches often will talk about money in light of this skepticism. On one hand, there's a, there's a hush-hush. We're just not going to talk about money. It's, it's, it's something private, and it's too close to, to being abused. And on the other hand, you see certain churches and theological tribes making the church all about money. It's a part of the identity of a believer, and God's approval of you is wrapped up with how much you give. We call this kind of a health and wealth or a prosperity teaching, and it's really all across the globe. That your status with God is directly tied to how much you give and what your material possessions look like. Those who uh, are blessed are those with lots of material possessions. So we see these two extremes, but I want to argue this morning that we're given a third way. We're given a way to slice through these extremes because we have this complicated story we're coming to this morning, but we just have to stop and, and, and realize that, that Jesus didn't shy away from talking about money. In fact, he talked about it a lot. And here in 2 Corinthians, Paul doesn't shy away from talking about money either. In fact, he spends two whole chapters of one of his letters devoted to a collection for needy saints. And I, I believe we have a way forward this morning. And so here's the big idea that I want to present to you is this, that Christians proclaim God's grace and maximize his glory by giving generously. Christians proclaim God's grace and maximize his glory by giving generously. So if that's true, then we're going to concern ourselves with then how do we be generous? And the text this morning gives us three things to consider. First, we're going to see the problem with generosity. And then we're going to see the possibility for generosity. And lastly, the product of generosity. But first, what's the problem with generosity? If we think of some of the first words that we as humans say to one another, uh, this word comes to mind. Mine. We think of our toddlers grow up and sitting next to one another around toys or snacks. And we think of those early words of clutching a toy saying, mine. This idea of sharing doesn't come naturally to us. This helps introduce what I mean by the, the problem of generosity. But if we look at our text this morning, we see the apostle putting before us a picture of, of something that doesn't come naturally to us either, something that presents us with a problem. Let's look together at verses 6 through 7. Paul says, The point is this. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So just a reminder of the context here. When Paul introduces this section and he says the point is this, he is bringing to a close uh, beginning in chapter 8, his admonition to the Corinthians to give of their offerings, to give of their money and possessions to a struggling church in Jerusalem, an impoverished group of Jewish believers. This is what he introduced in chapter 8, where Paul sent Titus to oversee this collection. And he calls it not a collection, but he calls it an act of grace. He says, uh, in verse 7 of chapter 8, as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And this is where we get our language, the, the grace of giving. So throughout chapter 8 and into chapter 9, Paul has been laying out the importance of this collection and encouraging the church to put their money where their mouth is. Because Paul had heard through the rumorville that, that this Corinthian church was, was zealous to help. They were eager to give, but nothing had materialized. And so right before our section picks up, he says, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. And so now Paul says in verse six of our passage, here's the point. And the point is that he seeks to lay out the basis and the purpose for all of this giving. And what does he say? Well, put simply, he says, you have to give freely from the heart and with cheer or joy. The point Paul is wanting to make is that he's not so much concerned about quantity, but rather quality of giving. When he talks of sowing sparingly or bountifully and deciding in one's heart without compulsion, he's talking about giving freely, with no strings attached, without any manipulation, without any regrets. So you might say, hold on now. Paul has just been holding the Corinthians' feet to the fire, admonishing them to give, and now he's saying you can't do it under compulsion. You got to do it freely. This is an act of grace. What's going on here? I think this forces us to reckon with what I'm calling the problem of generosity. You see, another way to read verse 7 in our text would be to read it in the inverse or the negative sense that uh, instead of God loving, or that can be translated approving of a cheerful giver, the inverse would be that God disapproves of a reluctant or a clenched fist giver. So what are we to do with this? If we are all born to have a natural tendency to say mine, to not share, and to clench things close, not let them go, we're confronted here that the only gift the Lord approves is from unclenched fists, from freedom, without compulsion. I recently heard um, Tim Keller share a story that I, I thought was simple yet profound. And he, he shared the story of, of his kids when they were growing up. You know, so often around Christmas time, kids will get video games or things like that or, or candy or snacks. And those moments around the uh, living room or wherever you set up that gaming system system, 
When mom or dad wants to have a turn, what do the kids say? No, this is mine. Or around that cone of ice cream and mom or dad says, can I have some? No, this is mine. And you just realize the absurdity of it, that without me giving that to you, you wouldn't even enjoy that. So yeah, give me some. (laughs) You know, the absurdity of it all, but really, we're no different as we get older. We still don't realize that all of life is a gift. We still don't realize that Despite, you know, God giving us vocations and skills and hard work, we're so quick to say, this is mine. I've worked for it. I earned this. Don't tell me what to do with my money. It's mine. You see, it just adapts as we get older. The failure to realize that even the ability to work is a gift of God. Without his grace abounding in our lives, we would have nothing. So, uh, we come this morning to, I think, a great problem then for us. The giver that God accepts or approves or loves is one who gives freely. And it's so hard to do that. Nearly impossible to do that. I think underneath this problem we're exploring of how to be a cheerful giver is a root sin that we'll call unbelief. We don't believe we have all we need as sons and daughters in Christ. So it is up to us to secure what we need for ourselves. Material possessions, time, energy, approval. And when someone asks us to give of those things, to share, to give some of that up, then that is nearly impossible because our security, our sense of belonging is wrapped up in those things. Generosity is actually a threat to our security. So we're left here with a deep problem, but we're not left without a solution. And that's the next point I want us to look at. Let's look at verses 8 through 11 to see how generosity is truly possible. Picking up in verse 11, Paul says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, You may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So how then is generosity possible? How is this problem resolved? We are told off the bat that to give freely with an open heart is possible because God is able to make all grace abound. And flowing out of abounding grace, what do we see? We see sufficiency in all things at all times. Supplying the necessary materials to give. We see an increase in a harvest of righteousness And we see enrichment in every way. That's quite a list. I love the summary one commentator gave. He said, giving to others is simply what trusting in God's promises looks like in a different dress. By this, he means that true faith in God means believing that he'll provide you with everything. He'll even provide you with what you need to give away. Provide you with what you need to provide for others. So we need to clarify a little bit here uh, when Paul talks about 
a harvest of righteousness, and he talks about sufficiency in all things. He's not merely talking about material possessions. You know, a, a health or wealth lens of reading this is that, yes, God will give you what you need, and you're going to be rich and happy. No, that's, that's not what's in view in this text. That's not what's in view. If you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, he could say that God was rich towards him, yet he was in chains. He could say that God's grace was abounding in him, yet he was suffering. That's the mark of a Christian life. And so what is this harvest of righteousness? Well, I think it's that God is equipping his saints to be used as instruments for the salvation of others. See, this gets to the heart of Paul's defense of the gospel in 2 Corinthians. You see, some, some wanted to delegitimize his ministry because he suffered too much. Because he didn't have the shiny exterior. Because he didn't have the nice car. They said, he must not be a true apostle. This gospel must be a farce. And so that is the whole burden of, of Paul's letter in 2 Corinthians. But Paul can say along with us that God's grace can abound. And we can be enriched in every way. Yet outwardly, have ailments, have struggles, be poor. You see, a deeper embrace, this is the heart of this point, the deeper embrace of the grace of God in Christ, a deeper plunging into his sufficiency, actually opens up the pathway for generosity. It makes it possible. Because the more you know how God has been rich towards you in Christ, the more that you have tasted of his generosity the more your heart can beat to that. And the more your heart can overflow and say, I can give freely. I have all that I need in Christ. I'm adopted as a son and daughter of the king. I'm made an heir of the covenant. I've been given all things. I have been enriched in every way so that I can bless others in every way. See, in order to let the Lord enrich us in every way by his grace means we we have to go down a road of repentance. It means we have to turn from our ways of finding security in things that we procure, and things that we do. For the areas in our life that are off limits to God's grace. This text is calling us towards a deep repentance because the only way to be open-handed and generous is to know how much generosity you've been given. In order to know the generous love of Christ, you have to put all your chips on him. So flowing out of this, uh, Paul urges the Corinthians to excel in this act of grace, this collection, because they have tasted of the gospel. They are saints. So he's stirring them up, saying, if, if your confession in God if your confession of this gospel of Christ is true, then also what must flow out of you must be a radical generosity. So for us this morning, you are in Christ who have professed the true gospel. I think Paul is holding our feet to the fire as well in the most gracious way. So what does it mean for us? I think it, it offers us a graceful glimpse into our heart. And Jesus and Paul clearly didn't shy away from talking about money. It wasn't off limits for them. And it's a good challenge for us. It's a good challenge for me to say, Lord, is my money off limits to you? Is generosity something that I shy away from? You know, what are some of the first thoughts that go through your mind 
when you hear about generosity or people are calling someone to give? Do you cringe? Do you feel shame? Do you say, oh, I got that covered. I give to this, this, and this. Do we say, oh, here we go again. People are just beating us over for money. What's your response to generosity? And that is also a mirror into your heart in many ways. It's a mirror into ways that we might be clutching to our things. That we might be saying, this is mine. It's off limits. Do we approach uh, giving as a box to check, I think is another good question to ask. You know, the New Testament actually nowhere uh, commands a tithe. It's a good practice. It's a wise practice. But the New Testament is not as concerned about quantity as it is about quality. All throughout the New Testament, we're not given an exact amount you must give, but we are given a posture of sacrificial giving, of joyful, open-handed generosity. So for us this morning, if we're more concerned about quantity, Jesus is gracefully calling us to examine why. Is it because we don't think we can give that much? Is it because we're afraid of an infringement on our lifestyle, our comfort, our ease? Is it because we have drunk the the Kool-Aid of our culture, that uh, individualistic America where no one can tell us what to do with our money? It's mine. So friends, budgets are good. Financial stewardship is wise. Tithing is good. All of this is good. But don't hear what I'm not saying. But do hear that Jesus is after a heart that is at rest in his provision. I think that's the burden of this text. And I think that's why when he taught us to pray, he included the phrase, give us this day our daily bread. Can we pray that authentically, that the Lord would provide for us what we need day by day? So friends, Jesus has promised to supply us. He's made us rich in Christ. We are sons and daughters, and God is able to make his grace abound in us, is what the text says. So to answer the problem, yes, generosity is possible. And so moving on from that, if it's possible, then what's the product of generosity? Let's look at the last few verses there, verses 11 through 15. Paul says, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You know, it's often said that repetition is the mother of all learning. And so I think Paul wants us to learn something here. If we look at the text, we see, we see this. It talks about thanksgiving to God in verse 11. Verse 12 talks about overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Verse 13 says, they will glorify God. And then he wraps up saying, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What is Paul wanting us to learn by this repetition, by this forceful language? He's wanting us to learn that true generosity maximizes the grace of God to the praise of his glory. That's the end game with generosity. So in this collection, 
we see in these verses not only the physical needs, the necessary uh, physical needs being taken care of for these impoverished believers in Jerusalem, but alongside of that, we see a robust spiritual need being met, overflowing in the praise and thanksgiving given to God. You see, Christian charity, Christian generosity need not juxtapose physical alleviation against spiritual enrichment. We have both of those here in this text. They are bound up together. I think there's a great lesson for us here this morning as we see the the product of generosity being both an alleviation of a physical burden and the praise of God's grace and glory. I think we're supposed to hold these things together. And I have a dream I'll espouse to you. I think it's a biblical dream That so often in our church landscape, we see the dividing line between conservative and liberal churches, the liberal progressive churches being the ones who are really active about mercy and giving and social conscious, and the conservative churches are concerned about doctrine and purity. I would say we're in the tribe that concerns ourselves with robust teaching because we know that, that bad teaching hurts people. We want to be in that camp. But we need not juxtapose a robust theology of God's grace and a robust theology of living out that grace in mercy and generosity. Faithfulness is holding those two things together. You see, in the New Testament church, the hot, pure New Testament church we see in Acts, it says the believers were devoted to teaching, to doctrine, to breaking of bread, to praising to providing for one another's needs. And what happened? Many were being added to their number. They were concerned with the full picture of the mission of God in Christ. And that's the model. That's what faithfulness to all of God's mission looks like. So that's my dream. I pray that that we would be a church known for having a robust theology that bolsters us up, that motivates the generosity so that we can dispense that freely. We have the necessary stuff. If God's grace is alive and active and is giving us generous hearts, then that must necessarily flow out into a generous outreach, a generous giving. They go together in harmony. So to land the plane there, we want to emphasize with Paul that generosity is all about God's grace and maximizing his glory with the end result that the nations would see and savor the glory of Christ. The end result is praise that we see in this. This collection of of monies for struggling believers in Jerusalem actually ushered in praise and thanksgiving. And so that all the peoples would ultimately join in this praise, that the nations would rejoice and be glad. Folks, that's the message for us this morning. God wants to maximize his glory and grace as we give generously. So, would you pray with me? Loving Father, we thank you that you have been a generous God to us. You are rich in mercy. You have called us sons and daughters. You have lavished your grace upon us. And so, Father, would you stir that up in deep and profound ways so that we could be what this text says, cheerful givers deciding in the heart, giving without compulsion, that it would come naturally, Lord. We ask for for renewed hearts 
that are overflowing with generosity so that we can, can be your kingdom people entering into your kingdom mission, proclaiming the excellency of your grace. So may it be so, Lord. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.